like that. And um, today, those of you that are here in the room, we are uh, ending our series in the book of Exodus. So you know that we've been in Exodus for quite some time. It's been a story. We have been hearing all about um, Moses and his action-packed life and his call and his response and how God intervened in a burning bush. Then there was the plagues. Uh, there was the crossing of the Red Sea and they worshipped God and there were more God encounters. There was manna, rebellion, commandments, temple plans. And now finally, we're coming, I've got seven chapters to cover in the next 20 minutes. Um, I'm gonna give it a good go. And, um, but we're actually now finally at the place of building the tabernacle. Do I need to step back? Move this way? That's it, the thing's, I'll step over here. We're getting at the place where God has actually, they're building the tabernacle, the temple, uh, the place where God dwells, his presence, with the people. Um, and last week we heard about the fact that the people rebelled. They broke their promise to God. They made a golden calf, but God kept his promise to them. God did not change his mind. God stayed faithful. Moses, Moses made his plea. God kept his covenantal promise and, um, and called his people to be obedient. I feel like I need to move somewhere else because I can hear feedback. It's gone now. Okay. Is it good, Simon? Thank you. Cool. So I'm going to see how I can do these seven chapters. I'm going to just pick up bits. Some bits I just picked up because I like them. Other bits I've picked up because I feel God is saying something to us as a congregation. So the second half of chapter 33 sets out the rules that people need to observe in order to encounter God correctly. And the people finally got it because they, we see in verse 29, we read about Moses and his face being changed, the appearance of Moses. Let me read from chapter 33, verse 29. I'm just going to read a few verses here. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak to the Lord. Moses' face had a tangible, there was tangible evidence of the presence of God on his face. And I find that as a challenge because we as Christians, we don't live in the Old Testament, we live in the New Testament, we live with the promise of Jesus with us, with the Holy Spirit. We, you know, he dwells within us, which means that wherever we go, we carry the presence of Jesus, which means that wherever we go, we need to have an impact on the communities that we're a part of, within our families, within our workspaces, within, within the shops, wherever we end up, we who carry the presence of God should have an impact. And, uh, and I, I wonder, do we have an impact? That's a challenge straight out there. 
right at the beginning, I'm throwing that challenge out there. I remember one of the first things, when I first became a mum, um, all of you probably know that my kids are adopted, so when they were six and four when they came to us. So when we went into school with them, I was the new mum at the gate, and all the other mums were kind of established in their little groups. But I managed to break in. Uh, I broke into a crowd of mums and they, they accepted me. And um, I very quickly became known as the vicar because that's what I do for a job. So they're like, you know, well, that's what she is. And even though I don't wear a collar and I don't go to an Anglican church, but, you know, let's, let's not worry about that. And, um, and I used to go out with them on nights out, as, as, as you do as mums' nights out. So that's what happens. And, uh, and after a few of these, um, one of the girls said to me, they said, Jess, it's really funny, when we're with you, we don't swear. And I hadn't even realised that was the thing. I'd never told them, please don't swear in my presence. Like, who would, who would, I'm the new kid on the block. You don't tell people anything when you're the new person. And, and I actually was really massively encouraged by that, that actually there was enough of a respect for just the title that I held that they would say, we don't want to swear in that, in, in that context. And more importantly, they noticed that they weren't swearing. Nobody'd had that conversation. And that's kind of having an impact. It's what you carry in your world, in your day-to-day. -day. Um, you know, that, that's what happens. You carry the presence of Jesus. But going back to the passage, we again get onto this list of materials that are needed for the tabernacle. So as fast as I can. There was gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ramskins dyed red, durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for, for the light, spices for anointing oil, fragrant incense, onyx and other gems. There was this like proper extensive list. All of these things that we needed for a tent. I have just come back from New Day where we camp. And um, traditionally when I go to New Day, and I have been to every single New Day, I like to point that out. When I go to New Day, I have a tent, but I glamp. And like I proper have, I have a wardrobe, I have a proper bed, I have a duvet, I don't do any of that sleeping bag stuff. I proper do glamping normally. I was a little bit restrained this year because most of my stuff's still in boxes. But, but what I did was nothing compared to how they decorated this tent and all the different things that they did for this tent. This is glamping like on steroids. Um, and more importantly, when you read these chapters and you go through them bit by bit by bit, you realise that there were people that kept records. Like they counted how many gemstones and how many bits of wood and where this needed to go and where that needed to go. That meant that someone or some people kept a proper inventory. And like, so there was admin going on and maths going on and some accounting going on, which technically makes all of those things jobs of the kingdom. So how many of you are involved in like maths, accounting and admin type roles? Because they're all kingdom jobs. But more than this, more than this, I love this, that the crafts, there were, the craftspeople were called, the metal workers, the weavers, the embroiderers, the spinners, the creatives were called out. If you had asked me um, as a child if whatever, what, what I wanted to do when I grow up, th there was only one answer for you. I just wanted to go to art school. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to paint and draw and go to art school. And sometimes if you ask me now, what do I want to do when I grow up? I still say I want to go to art school. It's like it's still a thing. I loved every second of being at art school. I loved the whole, you know, we used to wear black and the Dot Martins and the great big portfolio that I couldn't quite carry. I loved it all. And, um, but more important than that, um, I remember going to something like, um, it was like New Day, but it was when I was young and New Day didn't exist when I was young. 
And I, and I remember 16 years old crying because like they were doing this big talk about being called and what you should be doing and being a missionary. And, and I'm like, I'm crying. I'm like, well, I don't want to be a nurse. I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be a teacher. Like that, there was nothing in my heart to want to be those things. I just want to go and paint and draw. Just want to paint and draw. And uh, well, somebody very wisely spoke to me and they said, no, it's okay. It's fine. You can paint and draw. You can go and study that. And God will work out the rest of it. And, you know, look, look at me. Look what I end up doing for a job. So I have an art degree and I work in a church. And, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I didn't really believe them. That's the truth. At 16 years old, when they said it was okay to be creative, I didn't believe them. Until one day, I discovered this bit in Exodus. It says this, Exodus 30, uh, 35, verse 30. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled them with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Ahalab, son of Ashamiak, of the tribe of Dan, nice easy one, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers of all of them, skilled workers and designers. So being creative is also a kingdom job. So what did they build? Well, they took up a free will offering and they got the materials that they needed and construction began. And everybody did their own bit that they were supposed to do. They made the curtains out of linen and goat hair. They constructed the clasps and, um, that they needed and all the bits and pieces. And they, had to, they were given really specific instructions. They had to make a, a lampstand. I just want to read out how specific the instructions are. Exodus 37. They made the lampstand out of pure gold. They hammered its base and shaft and made its flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches extended from the side of the lampstand, three on one side and three in the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with, with buds and blossoms were on the branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand were four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud was, was under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, the second bud under the second pair, and the third bud under the third pair. Six branches in all. The buds and the branches were all of one piece with the lampstand hammered out of pure gold. Just, just the detail that took place in order to make just the lampstand. And they made the altar of incense. And like the incense was the work of like the perfumia. So like making fragrance is also a job of the kingdom. They made the altar. They made the basin for washing. They made the courtyard all to specific measurements. They made the hooks and posts. And then they also made the priestly garments for Aaron to wear. So they, that was the work of a skilled craftsman. They made an ephod, which is like an apron. It was um, made of blue and purple and scarlet yarn. It was square. Um, it was like a span long and a span wide, and it folded in double. Really specific um, detail about this. They mounted four rows of precious stones on it. The first row was carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row was turquoise, lapis lazuli, and emerald. The third was jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row was topaz, 
Onyx and Jasper. They were mounted in gold filigree settings. I'm giving you all of that detail so that you know that these people took their work really, really seriously and worked at making it absolutely right. And those 12 stones that were set were each of the names of the sons of Israel. And they were engraved like a seal. seal. And as I've read those stones, I'm hoping that those of you, your, your, what's coming to mind is the bit at the end of Revelation, Revelation 21, where, we, where John has a vision. And he refers back, doesn't he? He says, he talks about the new city and what it's going to look like. And he talks about, in Revelation 21, we read, the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold is pure glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Can you begin to see that actually what, what the people back in Exodus were using to decorate the ephod and using and considering precious, when God is using it in the New Jerusalem, it's bricks. He's using it as bricks. And the gold becomes pavement. And it really speaks to me of how, actually, <laughs> what we think is valuable isn't valuable at all. And it really, when I began to get a hold of that, I was like, oh, yeah, I think these things are precious. But actually, what God is using for making and decorating bricks and using for pavement is actually not as precious. There are other things that are far more valuable than that, you and I. And not only did they make the priestly garments, as I've said, and Moses inspected it all, we're told this, the Israelites did everything as the Lord commanded, and because they did as the Lord commanded, Moses blessed them. And then we get to chapter 40, the last book in Exodus, and that's the setting up of the tabernacle. Everything comes together, and Moses puts it all together. He gets instructions from God. He knows where to place, where, you know, where the wood has to go, and the cross frames have to go, and where the tent pegs have to go, or the clasps, I should call them. He, he has specific instructions, much better instructions than any flat pack you're going to get from Ikea. And, and Moses does it all. He puts everything in situ just as God commanded. And I've labored this point of being obedient to God very carefully. At this point in the story, we know that the Israelites are finally utterly obedient to God. But the word obedient isn't a word that we like using today. To obey someone or to obey something means that we're giving someone else the authority of our lives. And I would suggest that giving someone else the whole of the authority of our lives to someone else is actually quite difficult. And I guess we're sitting in this room here, and many of you would know Jesus. And you say, yeah, I've given everything over to Jesus. And I think, actually, sometimes it's easier to give our resources and to give our time than it is to give our thought life or to give our opinions or to give our judgments over to Jesus. And every now and again, the Holy Spirit highlights things in your life. Yeah? Or am I just making that up? Every now and again, the Holy Spirit just drops stuff in and you're realizing, oh, maybe my, my thinking isn't quite in line with God. And maybe I just need to just shift that a little bit. And you can ask the Holy Spirit to help you do that. If we believe that God is the creator of the world and that he is in charge, then being obedient is of infinite importance. If we believe that he's in charge of absolutely everything, then we are called to be obedient to him. I mean, if he's not in charge, then actually being obedient 
is no big deal. You don't need to be. But if he is in charge, then being obedient has got to be at the top of our list. And sometimes those things are difficult. And sometimes there are things that we don't want to give up. And sometimes there are things that we think we still want to control. Let me give you an example. Worry. Worry is one of those things that I think, especially in the Western world, we're particularly good at. And particularly when we worry about things like the stuff that's happening in the news, like, you know, our finances. It's going to be quite a big deal. There's a challenging time coming up. We recognize that. But how many of us prefer to worry than to give it to God? And then when we give it to God... We worry about it a little bit more. Listen, I'm the first one to admit that I do that. But actually, if God says that he's in charge and he tells us that we're not to worry, we can give it to him. And then we have to ask him to help us align our thoughts with his thoughts. It's not easy. I'm not pretending that this is like a a cure-all pill. But actually, when we know that God is in charge and that he is holding us, he will hold us in the same way that he's holding Dexter and Lauren right now, and in the same way that he's holding all of your different situations that you are facing. He's got them. He's holding them in the palm of his hand. You're learning stuff at the moment, but he's got you. The result of their obedience was this, the cloud. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, so much so that even Moses could not enter it. And, um, and when he did enter it, he had to cover his face. No, he didn't cover his face. He was able to face God. But then when he came out, he had to cover his face with a veil, didn't he? And the Israelites were now ready for their travels. If the cloud moved, so did they. And if the cloud didn't move, they didn't move. So the end of the Exodus story is actually not the end. It's actually the beginning of a brand new adventure for the Israelites. And many of you will have heard of C.S. Lewis, who um, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And he, this is not from Chronicles of Narnia, but he wrote this. We who have been redeemed by Christ are also poised daily for the journeys we take toward our final goal. Let me say that again. We who have been redeemed by Christ are also poised daily for the journeys we take toward our final goal. Israel's exodus, as ours is, is for a purpose. We've been called to move onward and upward. And that's a theme that you find in the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the last book of, the, of, of his series, Lewis ends the, the, on the final page of the last battle. He writes this. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. This is the message of Exodus. But it's also the message of the gospel. Yes. Every single day, we have the privilege, every single moment, we have the privilege of encountering God in such a way that the next moment is better than the one that we have just had. Isn't that mind-blowing? Every day, we have like a brand new adventure with God. There are more things to encounter and more things to see. We will never run out of exploring and knowing and meeting and loving Jesus. Yes, that's exciting. (laughs) The same is true today. Moses is described as the preview of Jesus. 
But Moses could never be Jesus, could he? Because he was blemished. Moses could never be the sacrificial lamb that we needed him to be. We know that Moses battled. I mean, he killed somebody. Come on, that's a pretty big sin, isn't it? Pretty much as it goes. He was with sin. Only Jesus could come and be the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the only one without blemish who takes away the sin of the world. And he dealt with your sin and he dealt with my sin. Uh, in our next sermon series, so after we've done the Vision Sunday, so we're looking at October now, we're going to be starting the book of John. And at the beginning of the Gospel of John, in John 1, verse 14, we read this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in that verse, the word dwelling can also be translated as tabernacle. John, right at the beginning of his gospel, he's making reference to the original tabernacle, reminding us that we are now in Christ and that we have become temples of the Holy Spirit. And that's where I started the sermon this morning, reminding us that we are carriers of... I mean, Jesus is everywhere all of the time, absolutely, but we, are also, we also carry his presence. Christ lives in us. Jesus did what Moses could not do, and Jesus has redeemed us. And so the same is true for us. We have some years left on the planet. Some of us have got a few more than others. Um, but we all have some years to live, some months to live. And every single day we can begin this new adventure that I just referred to. And all of us have got a long way to go. I once heard someone uh, describe it. I don't know if I'm going to get this right. They described it as um, uh, being on the first coat of paint. Do you know what I mean? That you can, when you keep painting a wall, um, you can put four, five, six, ten coats on, but even if I put ten coats onto this wall right now, it wouldn't come out very far, would it? And they said, it's your journey with Jesus, they described it as being like you're still on the first coat of wall. You've got to get over there, but you're still over there because there's so much to discover in Jesus. You're looking at me like I've got two heads. I understand painting analogies, <laughs> even if nobody else does. Um, we have been rescued for purpose. And every gift and every talent and every skill and every ability and every resource that has been given to each and every one of us has been given in order that Jesus' kingdom is established over all the earth, in Gateway and in Ashford. Cool, isn't it? Cool. Let me pray. Dad. Cool. Father, I do want to thank you for all that you've done in our lives. I want to thank you that we're known by you. I want to thank you that you love us. I want to thank you for every gift that you've given to us, every resource, talent, ability that you've lavished on us. And Holy Spirit, as we go from here now, we just want more of you. We want to encounter you so that when we are in our different places, people would see you. That they would observe something of you and your holiness in our lives and cause them to question who you are and want to come to know you. Father, help us to use all that you've given to, <laughs> to bring about your kingdom in this place. And Father, help us to be men and women that are faithful and obedient to all that you ask us. Help us to align our will with yours. Amen. Guys, thank